Good morning. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to talk to you about Ephesians 5 this morning. So, I grew up not knowing about very many missionaries other than Lottie Moon. Okay, that's, that's who I heard about. That's, that's who I knew each year. So when I would get resources like this Lightkeeper series, and I don't even remember when we got this. It might have been at a T4G or some kind of conference. But this Lightkeepers series, which parents I would commend to you, it, it taught me about other missionaries, other people who had, who had changed the world that I'd never even heard of. One of those was Amy Carmichael. Her story gets me. It, she crushes me in, in a way. Her, she is one of those, those people who saw darkness and did something about it. Here's a lady who, even though she was sick most of her life, 1895, she goes to India to be a missionary. She knew it would be challenging. She knew the land and the people were, were heavily influenced by Hinduism. I don't think she anticipated the level of spiritual darkness, though, that oppressed the people there, especially the young girls. In that culture, baby girls were not valued. People wanted sons for religious reasons, for economic reasons, to take care of the family. It's remarkable that India, any culture, any country, you can measure the progress of Christianity by how that culture ends up treating its women and its children, not as property, but as people. That's the impact of Christianity. So Ms. Carmichael was shocked to learn that many young girls were not wanted by their families. They were offered to, to, to the gods. They were essentially sold into temple prostitution. You can imagine that, that life of slavery. So once she learned about the gross darkness that was happening there, she, she knew she had to do something. So she took action. She took in and, and cared for, by some accounts, over a thousand girls over her 50 years in India. She gave them a home. She loved them like her own. She taught them about Jesus. And this came at great cost to her. The local priest charged her with, with kidnapping. Even some in the missionary community condemned her work. But with Ms. Carmichael, we have a true life example of what we find in our passage today. What it looks like to not deny the darkness, but rather expose it. So let's read Ephesians 5, and our passage is 11 through 14. We'll start in verse 6 for context. 5, 6 through 14. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. 
For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Father, we ask that you would help us shine the light of your Holy Spirit into our hearts and into our minds as as we seek to understand your word and apply it to our lives. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So our main idea this morning... It's, it's pleasing to the Father when His children of light do not take part in darkness, but instead expose it. When we don't take part in the darkness, but instead we expose it. Break the passage up into two halves here. Not taking part in darkness in the first half of verse 11 and verse 12, and then exposing the darkness in the second part of verse 11 and 13 and 14. So last week... Chris shared with us this this amazing truth that now that we have moved from darkness to light, now that we've been rescued from the domain of darkness to his light, and we're actually his children, that we now actually have the capability of pleasing our Father. We can now actually please God. We can do, we want to do what's good and right and true. This morning, we will look at what we are to do about the darkness. Our role as believers is to not just sit back and enjoy the light. Not yet. There'll be be time for that. But our role as believers is to put our light into action and expose the dark. But the question from verse 11 is, how do we do that without participating in darkness? So for one, we, we need to know what to expect. Okay, so, so what pops in your head when you think of uh, the dark? For me, for me, it's unknown, okay? So when I was a kid, I, did, I didn't hang my foot off the edge of the bed. Why? It's dark under there. I didn't know what was under there, okay? When I was going to my, my grandparents' house, okay, and, uh, or even and head down to their basement where I like to ride my big wheel around when it was raining, Okay, or when I would even head into my own bedroom as a kid and the lights are off, what did I do? Reach around the corner, flip that light on before I went into the room that was dark. Okay, I wanted to know what I was heading into. I wanted to know what was in the dark. It helps you be confident when you know what to expect in the dark. That's why Paul in verse 8 tells us, you were darkness. At one time, you were in the dark. So darkness in in verse 11, it's described, look at it here in, in verse 11. Okay, I want you to see the contrast. Unfruitful works of darkness. Now, compare that against verse 9. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Right there you can see the difference. Darkness works unfruit, the opposite of light, the opposite of growth, completely different actions that are evil and ignorant and deceptive. That's what we can expect in the dark. If you flip back to Ephesians 4, looking around verse 17, you can see all the ways the darkness is described, dark minds, ignorance, evil, hard-hearted, callous, given over to sensuality. That means it's a biblical word for unlimited lust. 
In Ephesians 4, we see those in the dark are actually greedy to find new ways to be impure. When we look at chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, we see that this impurity is described as sexual immorality and wanting more and more of what belongs to someone else. So it means to covet. This is the darkness that we're talking about in today's passage. We once were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. And now with the light on, we know what to expect. We can expect dark actions that, according to verse 12, are so shameful, they're done in secret. So we might read verse 12 and think, it's shameful to even speak of those things. Then my main priority should be completely avoiding the darkness at all costs. But we find a remarkably different priority in this passage. Look again at verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them. Since light always overcomes the darkness, as children of light, our main role is to not avoid the darkness, but expose it. Verse 11 helps us understand verse 12, because the dark is so shameful, it has to be exposed. It must be exposed. We see this theme all over the passage. We see the words exposed two times, make visible two times, and light two times. So clearly, from the passage, not to avoid the darkness, we're to expose it. But how do we do it without taking part in it? Well, we know what to expect. That was the first thing. The second is we can't be in denial. We can't deny the existence of the darkness. So you think back to Amy Carmichael's ministry for a moment. She tried to raise support for rescuing children from temple prostitution. Some Christians back home thought it was shameful for her to even speak of the plight of these children. In a similar way, at this point, where someone might say, it's shameful to even speak of abuse. No, no, we drag abuse right into the light, and we call it what it is, evil. The mindset of, of wanting to appear good without actually doing good In reality, what was happening to those children was so gross and so dark, it had to be exposed to the light. So, brother and sister, I want to encourage you. There's a real way that we participate in darkness when we deny its existence. Denial can lead to apathy, and apathy is not the call of a Christian. So, secondly, vigilance. Now, the way that we don't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness is to be vigilant about what we let into our eyes, into our hearts, into our minds. Obvious place to start here is with arts and entertainment, right? Some of us come from legalistic backgrounds. I, I get that. We, we've experienced great freedom in seeing the common grace of God in literature, in the beauty of music, the arts, truthful depictions of good and evil in movies. I could talk to you for hours about that. Over the years, I've been greatly helped by applying the three R's towards arts and entertainment. As one pastor put it, we can receive, we can reject, we can redeem. One of my favorite hobbies is watching movies and looking for themes to engage people with. 
That's good and right. I am not saying anything against that. But we have to be on guard at the same time. Let's be specific. Since chapter 5 is talking about sexual immorality and sensuality, where your eyes linger, your heart starts to lust. We know this to be true. So my concern is that what can start as an effort to redeem entertainment can be one of those places that will receive much that's dark. So how can you tell? If you've moved from the direction of, man, I really want you to see the redemptive theme in this movie, in this show. If you move from there to, you know what, I'm, I'm really mature enough to handle a certain amount of nudity and sexual situations in these shows. I don't really think it affects me that much. You're playing with fire. Not, not fire, you're actually playing with darkness. That's, that has less to do with spiritual maturity and more to do with a seared conscience, a desensitized approach. If we are making excuses for being exposed to sexual immorality and entertainment, this needs to be a place of confession and repentance. Our vigilance against taking part in darkness extends beyond entertainment, extends beyond what our eyes take in. It extends to deceptive ideas and empty words. We see this in verse 6. Let, let no one deceive you with empty words. When Greg Kokel was here, he said something so clarifying about this concept. He said, I'm much less concerned about bad words as I am bad ideas. Now, that's not an either-or proposition. That's just a helpful way to prioritize the threat. So let, think about it like this. Let me, let me ask you, the, the, the first time that you went out or were in public in any situation after you heard about COVID-19... How much did your spidey sense go off when somebody around you sneezed or coughed? I mean, that head was on a swivel. Like, and in the number of times that maybe I would sneeze and go, it's just allergies, just even qualifying what, what was happening there. You were vigilant to wash your hands. You made sure that you didn't touch your face. Maybe you wore a mask. You took steps. You're likely still taking steps to limit your exposure to that threat you know where I'm going. So diligent and vigilant about that threat, yet where is that vigilance when it comes to what we let into our eyes and our heart and our minds? Where our eyes and hearts and minds linger on the things that are exposed or opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So being vigilant to not take part in the darkness means we need the light of God's word. We need wisdom. We need understanding, which brings us from the warning to not take part in the darkness to the command to expose it. From the don't of the passage to the do. Okay, let's look at it again at verse 11, 13, and 14. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Verse 13, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So when I hear exposed by the light, I think about those, those headlamps 
If you, if you ever go camping, you throw the little headlamp, or if you're hiking or whatever at night, you've got the headlamp that you put around your, your head there so you can see what you're doing. And if you've ever been camping or hiking with kids at night, then you've seen the, the phenomenon that happens when they put that headlamp around their head and, and they decide to look right at you with that headlamp, and it just blinds you. It sears your pupils to the point of, I mean, you're, you're more blind at that point than, than you were before the headlamps were put on. So it's important because the word expose in, in verse 11 and 13, it means more than just a spotlight in the face. Expose is the exact same word as reprove that we find in 2 Timothy 4 when, when Paul charges Timothy to preach the word, to always be ready to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Expose means to convince and convict by means of evidence, to enlighten. You're, you're exposing a dark idea, a dark practice, a dark belief to the light, and you're helping someone connect the dots to their beliefs, their, how, how their beliefs connect to their actions and how those actions have consequences. Really, the weight of this entire passage hinges on understanding the word expose. So let me give you an example of what this exposing the darkness with evidence might look like. So before I was a Christian back in the 90s, that's how all good stories start, okay? Uh, my days at, at Carson Newman, that, that crowd was pretty conservative. Me, not so much. I proudly sent money to, to Greenpeace and, and to Amnesty International. I'm not disparaging those organizations. I just wanted you to know where my mind was at that time. I was, my mindset was, was in a different direction. For example, at that time, I believed that I could personally be pro-life, but who was I as a man to tell a woman that she could not have a choice? <clears throat> now, you can likely see all kinds of problems with that. At that time, I couldn't. At that time, I wouldn't. I didn't like to think too much about my own positions. It was easier <clears throat> And frankly, it just made me feel better to just believe that the people who disagreed with me lacked the intelligence and the sophistication to arrive at a similarly nuanced position that I held. Now, like I said, I was dark in my understanding, futile in my thinking. But here's the point. What was easily dismissed in my mind was this blinding spotlight of conversations with people when they would say, how can you call yourself a Christian and believe in murder? That's a legitimate question, but it's one that I was able to dismiss because it was delivered in anger and judgment. What was harder to ignore were friends who, who would take the time to ask me good questions. Like, why are you personally pro-life? What is a woman actually choosing? Questions like, is that a baby inside the mother? If so, should the location of the baby determine whether it lives or dies? Those questions help me connect the dots. They exposed the darkness in my thinking. They help me see that abortion is taking a life, and taking a life is wrong. The fact that I'm a man has no bearing on whether or not 
I can say something is moral or immoral. If it's immoral, it's immoral. I want you to see the point, though. The blaring spotlight, the bullhorn, that didn't help me see. It was meaningful conversations exposing the darkness to light that helped me see. This is true no matter how hard the time or how volatile the topic for believers. Part of my role as an elder is to reprove, rebuke, and exhort you to apply, to connect God's word to all of life at all times. So when Heather asked me a few weeks ago, hey, have you seen that George Floyd video? I'm like, no, not all the way through. It disturbs me. It angers me. It actually makes me fearful to the point that I don't know what to do with that anger. Now, I don't know if that officer was racist, but I know that when one image bearer kneels on the neck of another until they're dead, that that's evil. So then what do we do? Especially as parts of the country implode around us, what do we do? What we can't do, what we must not do, is turn to solutions that the world has to offer. Because of the grace of God, the world can sometimes rightly identify something as being evil, but the world can never offer a lasting solution to evil. Would would we bring about change through social media, through anger, through clamor or malice? No. So then what do we do? How do we actually shine the light of God's word and connect the dots in the face of evil? What do we do? I would say we declare the gospel and we make disciples. That would be my answer to you. You might say that's just too simplistic. I would ask you, is racism a sin? Yes, absolutely. So we treat the sin of partiality or racism like we treat all sin. Why? Because it's an internal problem that has no external solution. All sin starts in the heart. And there is only one lasting solution to all problems of the heart. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we declare the gospel in such a way that abortion is unthinkable. We declare the gospel in such a way that adultery is unthinkable. We declare the gospel in such a way that racism is unthinkable. And think about how light works. It's by proximity. Light has the most effect on that to which it's closest. Christians grow through the power of the Spirit by the light of the Word, through relationships in the local church. And this, here, not this building, with each other, this is where we gently, boldly, regularly shine the light on each other's sin, whether it's sexual immorality or whether it's racism. That's not overly simplistic, brothers and sisters. That's been the plan through 2,000 years of the church gathering and the Spirit working to sanctify believers. It's through the gospel and discipleship 
that a racist is changed from judging people by their skin to being desperate to see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation be gathered around the throne. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only answer to that sin and every sin. And I say that from a place of real fear. But I want my family, all of my family, to see people in one of two ways, either in Adam or alive in Christ. That's the difference. So we move to to motive. Motive determines how we shine the light. Whatever darkness we find another person in, our motives will always determine how we shine the light. Do we want to blind our opponent with the spotlight of our intelligence and logic? I confess to that. Do I want to show you how right I am or do I want to see you rescued? What's your motive? Ultimately, when we expose the darkness, our motive, according to verse 10, should be to please the Lord. It's so much easier to ridicule than to redeem. It's easier to create a a caricature of someone than to actually show them care. But when we denounce and dismiss those in the dark, man, it just feeds our own feelings of superiority. It fans the flames of our own self-righteousness. It's like walking by and seeing somebody drowning going, you know what, you shouldn't have swum out that far. You're getting what you deserve. And that's not our call. When we use the light of God to make ourselves look and feel better than those in the dark, we're actually taking part in darkness. Brothers and sisters, the fact that you and I were darkness and now we are light should humble us. It should give us great compassion toward those still in the dark. Chapter 6 tells us in in Ephesians that our battle with darkness, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We know that the light of our words and our lives are not just showing people that we're smarter than them. It's not just showing people a better way of living. No, the light that we shine is a matter of truth versus deception, life versus death, and eternity in heaven versus hell. That should humble us in how we shine the light. You and I, we, we were stumbling around blind in the darkness. We've been given a gift that we didn't deserve. So now, we get to go find other people who are stumbling around, blind in the darkness, and say, I want you to come see this light. We get to give this light that we didn't deserve away to people who also don't deserve it. We live lives of light. It's not just words, but our our lives of light will convict and convince those in the dark As children of light, our lives will shine. The Spirit helps us do what is good and right and true. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, that we are the light of the world. Our light 
should shine so others will see our good works, not to give us glory, but to give glory to our Father in heaven. So I think one of, one of those sneaky lies of the, of the enemy is to convince you that your good works don't matter. Your efforts to honor God by living a godly life are not really that pleasing to him because all that remaining darkness in your life, it really just kind of clouds how God sees you. Well, dear brother and sister, according to Ephesians 2.10, you are the workmanship of God. He prepared these good works and this godly life for you to walk in. Nothing gives a father greater pleasure than to see his children following in his footsteps. So I'm praying the light of the Holy Spirit would help you see that your integrity at work, your kind words to your children, your faithful marriage, your refusal to participate in crude talk about the opposite sex, your generosity to those in need, your humility when feeling defensive, your patience with those who annoy you, your repentance when you sin, your continued trust when you suffer, all of those battles that nobody sees because they take place in your heart and your mind between darkness and light. God sees it. He sees you. He sees you because he planned this. He sees your light because he gave you the light. And when your light shines, he gets the glory. Don't buy into the lie that the good works that he planned for you don't matter. It's his fruit by his spirit, and he gets the glory. So we see in verse 13 and 14 that light has two functions. Let's let's look at 13 and 14. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So 13, when anything's exposed by the light, the light reveals. 14, for anything that becomes visible is light, the light redeems. The darkness that's now visible into light. So the revealing part, exposing the darkness with the light of your words and life, that's going to repel some people, and it's going to attract others. Jesus told us to expect this. He reminds us in John 15 that if the world hates you, it's because it hated him first. Why? Because light reveals all kinds of evil. The man in this church I'm good friends with who goes on business trips, and he won't go out with the crowd to get drunk. His boss has said to other people, in the workplace, I don't really trust anybody that won't get drunk. You may have similar stories. The irony is thick, right? Be- being judged by those that you won't join in the darkness. This is a tendency in all of us. From an early age, right, we have nicknames for those who do what is good, right, And true, we call them goody-two-shoes, we call them prudes, we call them tryhards. Why? Their strengths expose our weaknesses, and we don't like it. As you mature in Christ, though, you will be drawn to 
and encouraged by those who shine the light of Jesus the brightest rather than being jealous of them. Listen, the the light of holiness will always reveal hatred from some people. So look at Jesus. Those relying on their own righteousness despised him, and yet some were drawn to his light. I would argue those that were most aware of their own darkness. So that brings us to redeem. The light not only reveals but redeems. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 8, 12, redemption is how we're to understand what's happening in verse 14. How does the darkness that becomes visible become light? So I I want you to think about it like this. So, all right, you you kids today, I've always wanted to say that. You you kids today, you, you have your... Like LED everything, LED soccer balls and, and LED or, or even like the, the uh, back to the camping, the little chemical reaction sticky things that you can break and they actually manifest their own light. So when you're in the campground, you can put them around your wrist and your neck and you're at least not running into each other as you still run into stationary objects. <laughs> but the point being that that light, that LED fancy light or that chemical reaction, it's creating its own light. Back in the day, okay, we had this glow-in-the-dark stuff, and you still find this on Amazon, all right? I got 200 of these, like including two moons, okay, and, and stars. But we had these glow-in-the-dark stickers, and you had to expose them to the light. I think they've gotten better over time, but back in the day, I mean, you'd hold that thing up to the brightest light bulb in the house, and you might get 10 minutes worth of, <laughs> of a star that you stick on the ceiling, Okay? The longer it was exposed to the light, the longer and brighter it shines. So many connections here, right? You are light. And you are dependent on the light. Exposure to the light. We are dependent on each other. There is more light as we come together. Returning over and over again to the light of his word to be filled by his spirit, verse 18. Just like Moses' face shining so brightly after being in the presence of God, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 helps us understand Ephesians 5, 14. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Through the light of the gospel, Some people abandon the darkness and become the light. That is your story and that is my story. The light of Christ shone into our dark and dead hearts. The same Jesus who said to the demons, be gone. The same Jesus who said to the storm, be still. The same Jesus who said to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. The one who said to the dead man in the tomb, Lazarus, come out. He said to us, awake Oh, sleeper, and arise from the dead, I will shine on you. That is your story. And so the light of the world now shines on you and has changed you from a child of wrath and darkness to a child of love and light. We could no more stop shining the light of Christ and exposing the darkness than Christ could stop loving us. Our eyes have been opened 
and our hearts enlightened to the hope to which he's called us. By the light of the Spirit, we can now know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You are filled with the fullness of God. He tells us so in his word. You are so full of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God, that that light spills out of you and on to others who are in the darkness. We have to share. We get to take the light that we've been given and we get to give it away. We must go to the people who are dwelling in darkness and tell them that we've seen a great light. We must find those dwelling in the shadow of death and tell them a light has dawned. We must share the only message of lasting hope and light. Jesus has come. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can do this. We can do this. Because we shine with the inexhaustible power of the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, the Lamb who is the lamp of heaven. Let's pray. Ah, oh, Father. <laughs> we thank you that we once were darkness and now we are light because you sent the lamp of heaven to be the light of the world. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that, that those places in our lives where we are participating in darkness, that by the light of your Holy Spirit and the light of your word, you would expose them. You would help us connect our beliefs and our actions to consequences and that you would help us act in light of who you've declared us to be, children of light, beloved by you. Father, we thank you that you are the perfect Father. Jesus, we thank you that you are the perfect Son. Spirit, we need your help to see and believe the light. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you that it's sufficient and applicable to every area of our lives. Father, help us share with others the light that you have given us in the face of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.